You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we continue our journey through 2 Samuel, talking about the time that David sings his story in 2 Samuel 22. We cover topics like psalms and songs, how to read Hebrew poetry in the Bible, and the role of David singing and expressing himself in this way, and how to understand his story in light of God's story. So we cover a range of topics. Um, We've loved uh, joining into the discussion that's going on in the Hashtag Knowing Faith podcast, and it's been really fun to hear from you and to get questions from you and to be able to engage with the audience. And so if you have things that you want to jump in and ask questions about or get resources on, you can use the hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So before we jumped on, uh, we were talking with people in the Bay about colleges. JT, where'd you go to college? Your undergrad, not like all of your other fancy Stop. degrees. Stop. Just your. I undergrad. went to Colorado State University. What are, what's I went, hang on, I went to the Colorado <sighs> State University. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what is the mascot <laughs> of Colorado State University? Rams. The Rams. The Rams. Yeah. Were you like a like super into? I was. Were you like at the game? All of them. Do you still follow Colorado I do. State? Uh, uh, Where'd you go to your undergrad? <laughs> I went to Dallas Baptist University. Do you follow? Um, we all used their to. We okay. So what's their mascot? The Patriots. Hmm. Okay, and the whole like the whole campus. It's a beautiful campus. The whole campus is like a colonial New England aesthetic to it. Why? Like red brick everything. They did a. Uh, it is they, a really beautiful. Campus. They did a like a reconstruction of the first Baptist Church in America on site, and um, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, the the chapel they have, there, and it's like the OG First Baptist, the the original First Baptist Church hmm. in America, which is in Providence, Literal first Providence, Baptist. Rhode Island. That's where it's at, Roger right. Williams, and so uh, they did it, and I did not know this, but they uh, so the version at DBU is huge. It is massive. Like, you can see it from the highway miles away. It's very large. Uh, but when you go to Providence, Rhode Island, so my wife and I was like, we were in Boston. I was like, we got to go down to Providence, Rhode Island. I got to see the First Baptist Church. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. So we drink <laughs> When nerds go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so we drive down there. We drive down there. And first off, let me just tell you, Providence, Rhode Island is a gorgeous town. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. absolutely stunning. So we, we're walking around. I'm like, okay, I know this church is here, but I'm looking for a giant Building mm-hmm. because that's what the chapel looks like, and they were like, "It's just a one-to-one version of that." What they did not tell you is that they made it huge. The first Baptist <laughs> church in America is like it's not, not a nearly, It's not huge. <laughs> you can't see it from miles away. Weirdly enough, you know they were thousand people they were, they at first busy, Baptist church. They were busy province. trying to survive winter. Exactly. They didn't have time to build a exactly. Giant, yeah. And so I'm like, right. I'm walking around. We walked past the building probably four times. <laughs> And I'm like, where is this thing? <laughs> and then eventually, Lauren's like, there's the sign right there. This, I think this is it. I'm like, no, it's way bigger. And she was like, I think they might have just made a bigger version of this. Do Baptists embellish? Yeah, honey, honey, I struck my Baptist is what we joked about like the whole the whole day. Um, but uh, Jen, where'd you go to school? I went to Texas A&M University. Mm. And there are no whoops. Nope. Oh, gosh. What, uh. what beautiful sound that was. The sound of nothing. That's, that's okay, the only time that's ever happened. all of our happened. podcast listeners just gave us a whoop. There's, you can hear it. There are yeah. a lot of Aggies out there. Every time that we say something in the church service about like, mm-hmm. oh, Texas A&M. 
They, they, they throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Are you, were you, like, when you were there, like, I know that you're proud of your school and proud that your kids went, because all, all of your kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of them That's went like, there or are there. Do you guys get a patch? No, I wish we got a, a building. discount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, really? After the fourth one came through, still no discount, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were no, you super into it when you were there? Oh, I didn't just drink the Kool-Aid. I served the Kool-Aid. Oh, for real? I was a tour guide. You were? Yeah. It was my first act of evangelism was um, being a tour guide at Texas A&M. <laughs> Wait, act of evangelism, like, you mean, per, like, really? Or are you like, you were an evangelist for Texas for A&M? For Texas A&M, Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I was not working a gospel presentation into the tour. <laughs> I love that. Now, this is our quad, and there's a big tree mm-hmm. here. Now, who do you think mm-hmm. created? If you were to die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining Jen halfway through a tour at A&M being like, guys, have you ever heard of the four yeah. spiritual laws? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, which, ironically, would have gotten JT saved on my tour, it apparently. That was the it. secret hey, sauce I'm for him. You. Four spiritual laws. Yeah. How many quarters are in a dollar? Four. Have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Oh, my uh, gosh. Okay. That's perfect. We should really talk about the actual content of this podcast at some point. What do you think? Well, oh, wow. Okay. Buzzkill. Yeah. yeah. Hall monitor. Yeah. <laughs> Jen's like, let's get into Second Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well... We talked about colleges. Now we're going to talk about Second Samuel 22. This mm-hmm. is where David sings his story. Uh, and so what's happened so far? What's happened in the story so far? How did we get here? Why is David singing? Well, it's basically all happened at this point. And um, the last four chapters of Second Samuel are a bookend. They are an appendix. Do you have, does everybody still have their appendix, by the way? Yeah, no, I don't. I've never had it out. You don't have yours? Mm-mm. Me neither. Yeah. Kyle, you're the only one with an appendix. With one what if it just ruptured room? right now? But here's good news, <laughs> still guys. Have it. Yeah, true. If you have a Bible, <laughs> you have an appendix. Oh. That's uh, so oh. four chapters in. Okay. That's the kind of magic I worked on those tours, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this is the this is the bookend to um to to first and second Samuel and actually David's song is the corresponding piece to Hannah's song that hmm. opens the, the book of Samuel. So there's a very nice symmetry that comes into play here at the end mm-hmm. of the book. So we're, we're, we're nearing the end of David's life. Well, the end of this part of the well, story. Well, David doesn't die until First Kings, right. but um, at this point in the story, we have seen sort of the closing chapters of the historical narrative portion of the text, and David has been restored to the throne, but we feel sort of ambivalent to it because um, the final um, portion of the text is this listing of who is who are his officers, uh, so to speak. And um, the first one in the list is Joab, that murdering murderer. Mm. Uh, Shankopotamus is is the first one listed. (laughs) Can we name this podcast that? Yeah. Yeah, so so you're kind of like, oh, he's back. But, oh, it doesn't feel great. And a lot of terrible things have happened. And then we just sort of roll into these last four chapters that are... um, um, actually highly organized, but snapshots of things that happened during the rest of the story. And this particular psalm is, um, it's a version of Psalm 18, uh, almost identical. And it is where David is looking back and celebrating the Lord's deliverance specifically from the hand of Saul. So it's okay. actually pointing back to First Samuel. Okay. So <clears throat> so David is singing this song of deliverance mm-hmm. uh, and he is rejoicing that God has restored him to the throne. Yeah, and if you think about, if you remember all the way back to Hannah's song, Hannah was saying the Lord will do what? He will exalt the humble and he will humble the exalted. And so now what is David doing? He's saying the Lord has Mm. 
humbled the exalted and exalted the humbled. So is David, um, this feels, I mean, it, it feels like a psalm. It, is this a psalm? Yeah, it's Psalm 18. I just said that, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you for real? Yeah, I okay. did. <laughs> I feel so heard. Uh, okay. <laughs> Say it louder next time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... <laughs> Wait, are you telling me, like, this is actually a moment for me. Is this word for word Psalm 18? Kyle, I literally just said it's almost word for word Psalm <laughs> 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 Kyle's reading the show notes over here. Oh, my gosh. If you guys if you guys legitimately think that our learning actively while these are happening is a pretense, let this be a real-life lesson to you. There's when, actually no learning when, going on, even in the middle of the podcast. And sometimes repetition is the mother of life. It's true. Mother. So now I, now I know this is almost word for word Psalm 18. My goodness yeah, um it's going great it is we are on the right track mm-hmm. so but but like uh when we think about psalms are are, are they poetry like as, here's the deal when you're when you're growing up and you're just learning like basic bible stuff they're going to tell you well uh, you hear all these mixed things david wrote all the psalms right. that's one thing like so you hear david wrote all the psalms he was the psalmist so anytime you see a psalm it's david and that still is very much out there like there's probably very people much. listening to this right now they're like yeah, David wrote right. all the all psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when you see something like this and you think about that, you're going, okay, well, was David, he was like a king, but he was also a songwriter and a poet his his whole life? Is, this, is he is he just constantly generating these things? He it, seems to be. Why I mean, is he, he expressing himself this way? Well, yeah, I think that um, there there's more than one reason for that. But we've already seen him when he laments. You know, we had those, those lament scenes. And when he laments David, uh, when he laments the deaths of Saul and Jonathan, he doesn't just um, howl and say sorrowful statements. He actually, we have this highly organized, beautifully constructed psalm of lament that's dropped into the beginning of Second Samuel. And I, I really, you know, it's like we think of lament as just, I just... I just let it all out however yeah, I want. And yeah. that is certainly, that is those are the early stages of lament. But by the time we read the words that are captured there of how David remembers Saul and Jonathan, you see sort of like a, um, a, a fermented uh, mm. version of, of his grief that it is now a vintage and it is... Um, it's taken on depth and it's taken on quality and the language is all carefully chosen and carefully organized. And that takes work. It takes, it means that you have to have thought a whole lot about it. Like if you think about, um, I think the example I used when we, when we taught on this was the difference between receiving, um, a card from someone who loves you. That's kind of like, I just love you so much. And I just, I love you. And you, I just feel so much love for you. And my love for you is so great. The difference between getting that kind of a card or if someone gave you a card where they had written a sonnet to you hmm. and you would think, wow, this person really put thought and time yeah. into into expressing the way that they feel about me. And I think that's what we're seeing in the way that David writes the Psalms that he does write is, is not just a disorganized sort of word vomit, but right. it's this um, very thought out. It's a, it's a meditation. Yeah. And, and yeah, he, he is a, he's a poet. And I think one of the things that gives us trouble when we get to the poetry in, in the Bible is, is that not only were we not taught how to read biblical poetry, but many of us were not, not taught how to read poetry, period. And so we have, I always say when we talk about Bible literacy issues, that it's not just an issue of, of 
lacking Bible literacy yeah. is a subset of a problem many of us have that we, we actually lack general literacy with regard right. to how to read books in general. And I don't say that pejoratively no, at sure. all. Um, and, well, and admittedly, Hebrew poetry is, is difficult. Difficult. Well, it's different, right? It, it has is. different rules. Right. So like you might be like, well, this doesn't seem like poetry and the Psalms don't seem like poetry because it doesn't rhyme. I mean, like when, yeah. like honestly, like because when you grow up and you hear about poetry, like just the most basic understanding is like, oh, poetry rhymes, yeah. right? Now we know that there's a lot of poetic forms that don't rhyme, but Hebrew poetry isn't employing that kind of method. It's employing a, a method called parallelism, right? right? Where it's like conceptual symmetry, mm-hmm. and not you, not always the same forms of parallelism that we're used to seeing. For sure, right? Because sometimes they'll do something like, uh, uh, I've said something, I said something a little bit different, and now I'm gonna say something a little bit stronger. Yeah. So they'll do like there's a there's a there's a cadence to it. There's a meter to it that is different, and it, it, there's different forms of that parallelistic meter. Well, and it has to do with this idea of repetition being the mother of learning. Right. And there's also parts of Hebrew poetry that will start with certain Hebrew letters. Right. That, like, it would start with Aleph, and and it would continue through the Hebrew alphabet. I think Psalm 119 119 is a a classic Uh, example, yeah. But that doesn't translate into English. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So sometimes Hebrew poetry actually isn't translating over into our understanding of poetic forms. Well, and if you think about it, what Hebrew poetry is doing is it's giving a a group of people who didn't have the written word a way to remember the word. I was thinking about this this morning. Someone had quoted a a Charles Wesley hymn and it occurred to me that although we remember John Wesley as the preacher, you could probably could not quote one single thing that John Wesley said, but you could certainly quote many things that Charles Wesley wrote. And why right. is that? It's because he set them to song and, yeah, they, right. and they rhymed. He wrote poetry. And uh, that's what I think we see happening in the Psalms is these are not to us. They, they feel clunky or cumbersome because the rhythm of the language is yeah. lost or the the parallelism is lost on us. But to the original audience, they were not just highly poetic. They were highly memorable. That's good. Now, um, Jen, I don't know if you know this, but uh, 2 Samuel 22 uh, is actually almost word for word uh, Psalm 18. That is an amazing fact. <laughs> now, I, 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 so, I hear it, mm-hmm. I receive it, and I respect you for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The first um, time. <laughs> so, what you, we've talked about this before, and so... Uh, when yes, the, now three times we've talked about <laughs> no, it, No, 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 I was moving to the thing we talked about. Mm. Um, what I'm about to say, we've talked about a number of times, which is that uh, there are a lot of different approaches to the Psalms, okay? Like people, uh, there's a lot of different ways that people approach that genre. Um, it's probably one of the most read genres in Scripture. If people are going to read the Bible, oh, yeah. Psalms is probably the most read, right? Yeah. Well, the easy ones. Okay, right. Like the Psalms of Lament or the imprecatory Psalms were like, meh. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, but but we all have kind of like our like jukebox of favorite yeah. songs. Our like if you, if you find our playlist. Uh, like a Gideon Bible, it's the usually. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com.
Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The New Testament and the Psalms. Exactly. Like it's, mm-hmm. if you're going to leave out the Old Testament, you don't leave out the Psalms. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And so, um, how should we actually approach the, and, and not the definitive approach, but yeah. maybe what are some weaknesses in how we often approach the Psalms um, in terms of reading and engaging with them and learning from them? This is a really good question. I think the most common mistake that we make when we come to the Psalms in particular is a mistake that we make elsewhere when we read the Bible, but it's particularly. Uh, egregious or unhelpful when we make it with the Psalms. And that is we read it looking to identify with the speaker Mm. before we read it asking, what is the speaker proclaiming is true about God? Mm -hmm. And almost uh, almost, uh, throughout all of the Psalms, we find that the opening lines of them are dealing with um, a proclamation of the nature and character of God, a very clear establishing of this is who God is. And so there's instruction there in the sense that we can actually see things that are true about God very clearly in the Psalms, but also there's instruction there in the way that we encounter the world, that we begin with rightly orienting ourselves vertically, that who God is is what what all of the rest of what is going to be said will hinge upon that. So like my classic rant on this is with Psalm 139, that Psalm 139, uh, 14 is quoted almost obsessively by, particularly by women, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, And it's our reassurance to ourselves that we are um, not in fact um, hideous monsters. Um, but Psalm 139 spends 17, 18, 19 verses talking about who God is. Mm-hmm. And we miss it because we're so obsessed with finding ourselves in the text. So here, I think we're seeing again that same pattern of David, when he writes his Psalms, he wants to establish the transcendency of God before he gets into the transcendence of God before he gets into any discussion of how he relates to him. That's so good. It's something I've been thinking about. And I don't have a way, I don't have like a, a, a pithy like one sentence thing that I'm trying to say here but Jen I know you've talked about this a lot elsewhere but I'm trying to work through this idea of how deeply embedded into evangelicalism the the love of the knowledge of self is yeah I mean it's just everywhere mm-hmm. whether it's we've talked about this before and knowledge of self is good right yeah. Calvin does talk about um, there's two kinds of wisdom knowledge of God and knowledge of self mm-hmm. so I'm not trying to, to throw a grenade at knowledge of self I think it's important and no, valuable it is. insofar as it helps us come to know God better and when to be fair when Calvin talks about knowledge of self he's talking about knowledge of self insofar as then you're able to repent <laughs> right, yeah. right he's not talking right. about growing a love of yourself because right. you're awesome he's yeah. saying understand who you are so that yep. you can become more like Christ but the, the like, I've just been in a lot of conversations recently where people have been talking about uh, like your unique self that you have to discover to activate and engage. And I think there's truth to that. Yeah. But Jen, as you're pointing out here, the Bible spends far more time 
not talking about our uniqueness, but God's uniqueness. Well, I would say probably more closer to the truth to say that it it doesn't speak of our uniqueness apart from framing it within God's That's a better way to say supremacy it. and His. And so I think you know the. I, it's certainly in women's circles, but I think it spills over. Um, we have a tendency to read the Bible as saying to God, well, enough about you, let's talk about me. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a very human response to mm-hmm. everything. But if you think about it, that's the response of your two-year-old. That's that's oh, a yeah. very immature th- thought pattern. It, it It's, you know, mm. that it's, it's advocating for self at every turn. And that as we grow in maturity, what we become others focused. We become um, able to um, perceive that the world um, operates not just according to to who I am, right? And so I think as we, I think it's understandable for an immature believer to to want to talk about you know who am I in Christ all of the time. But I think as we move in maturity, one of the marks of Christian maturity, I would say, is that we we become um, well. Tim Keller has a great book called The Freedom of Self Forgetfulness mm-hmm. that we forget to think of ourselves because we're consumed with the glory of God and, mm. and with wanting to serve others out of that. Yeah. That's <clears throat> the Psalms. I feel like you're hitting that tone, that, well, that note. They exactly are. I think right. they're trying to live, and I think this is what I hear Jen saying. They're trying to live in that tension. Mm-hmm. They are, and I think that they are trying to be an adequate expression of what it looks like to be a person with God, a whole person, a whole person. They're re, they're they're heavily relational. I mean, mm-hmm. David is in no way saying God is seated and thrown between the cherubim and he has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It is that the God who sits and thrown between the cherubim is deeply concerned yeah. and involved in in what's going on with me. And and so that's that's what we're seeing in Psalm 22. He leads off right. with this, these explosive statements about who God is. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. So you hear this combination here. He's he's extolling God, but he's also extolling God in relate. He's saying he's my shield. He's my stronghold. He's my savior. So um, this would be an example, I would say, of where I can be be hard on worship songs that have what I call the I me, my minds, a bad Mm -hmm. case of the I me, my minds. (laughs) And uh, this is actually a beautiful representation of of the right use of the I me, my mind formula, Mm -hmm. where you don't come away with your focus being on David or what he does or or, or who he is, but instead on, on God high and lifted up. Yeah, and <clears throat> so the temptation, even when we're approaching Psalms, uh, is to focus on self and what, what it says about me as opposed to what it says about God. And the the solution is not to say the Psalms have nothing to do with me and say nothing of significance about who I am. But it's to say the route to get there is the route that the psalmist takes and the yes. route that Scripture takes, which is let's go there through who God is and what he has done. Which is the same pattern that you see over and over again. It's the pattern that you see in the Ten Commandments where right. they start hmm. with God and then they move to others. It's what you see in the Beatitudes. It's what you see in the Lord's Prayer. Right. This idea that the vertical is where we start and then, then the horizontal becomes worth uh, reflecting on in that in that framework. A really simple way that, um, so I, and I've talked about this on the show before, that my wife and I have learned to both pray and also to uh, not rush to 
the things mm-hmm. about like self mm-hmm. has just been and I know there's a lot of thoughts on this but has just been employing acts the acts prayer method yeah. as a way not just praying the scripture but also just reading it of starting out with adoration who, what is this yeah. thing about who God is mm-hmm. what can I celebrate who he is and then going to confession and then going back to God let me give thanks for what God has done mm-hmm. and then moving to supplication and request right mm-hmm. so like that rhythm and you can use any method you want but I do think that for a lot of times when we're thinking about actually how do you deploy what we're talking about here because yeah. people can be like well I want to <laughs> I want to value who God is but it is so intuitive for us to go to self yeah that we've had to learn to be like well we've got to force ourselves uh, force ourselves yeah. out of going to self well I've been spending a lot of time meditating on the Ten Commandments <clears throat> for various reasons and um, the third commandment you shall not take the Lord's name in vain we tend to think of that as an easily one to be easily avoided like oh I, I've nailed that because I don't swear mm. right um, but actually I think the most common form the most common practice of taking the Lord's name in vain is when we begin our prayers without adoration mm-hmm. um, because when Jesus gives us the model prayer he says that you begin with our father who is in heaven may your name be hallowed mm-hmm. and that's what David is doing here he's hallowing the name of the Lord before he moves into any um, requests that he might have before he moves into any sorrow he might want to bring before the Lord and that when our prayers begin with Lord this is what I need from you it's actually a form of taking the name of the Lord in vain simply by a sin of omission. Mm. It's been personally convicting to me. I don't want to throw that out there like, so the rest of y'all sinners repent because it's, it's, that's the way that that's been my pattern of prayer. Yeah. And I think it's our operating impulse. Yeah. Just to go right to God and be like, this, Mm -hmm. here's what I need. Now, thank you. Get it Mm -hmm. done. I think he hears that graciously. I think he he, does. That's what you're saying. But at the same time to acknowledge who he is as we're asking Mm -hmm. is a way to honor and respect. As I was reading uh, this this chapter, uh, chapter 22 from Second Samuel for this, I was struck by, and, and I know this is true of the other Psalms too, it's, not, it's just true here, but the relationship between God's attributes and his actions. Mm-hmm. There's this really incredible, just beautiful picture mm-hmm. of who God is and then how he acts and the relationship between those two things. So if, uh, just a few, he is a rock, but he's also the one who rescues. Mm-hmm. He is a shield, but he also comes alongside us as, for our support. He is the stronghold. He also is our refuge. So it's yeah. like it's like saying these beautiful attri- attributes about who he is. But then Jen as you were talking about, he's he's also the God who's deeply interested in the flourishing of his people and he acts then on our behalf. One of the images that I loved in this as I read this uh, a few days ago uh, that just struck me being from Colorado and having spent some time in the mountains is that what is it? It's verse uh, 34. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me on the secure heights. Mm-hmm. That just for for me for whatever reason that imagery mm. I don't pray like that right mm-hmm. like when I'm when I'm praying uh, this morning I did I did not think of that imagery to say God you've just made my feet like a deer yeah, right thank you for setting me on yep. secure heights but then you think about how sure a hold a deer has mm-hmm. and that is the same kind of assurance that God has given us in yeah. Christ or the same kind of assurance that God has given us of His love for us in Christ and that for me has just been a beautiful picture because the Psalms for me I'm not a very uh, some creatives might not enjoy me saying this, but I don't consider myself an imaginative person. I don't express myself through the arts in the same way that some of my friends do. But when I, so I don't, so I don't, don't, don't tend to pray like that. But what mm-hmm. the Psalms do is they explode my imagination in ways that I typically am not thinking or that yeah. I'm not acting. And, and that's what this, this uh, text has done for me. Yeah. Well, and I do think, you know, we're, we're recording this not long after the, the fire that happened in, um, um, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I've been thinking a lot about that, about um, what do we lose when you lose a place like Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, like most medieval cathedrals, was built with an eye toward literacy for mm-hmm, the people right. who were illiterate, who were coming into it, who would never hold a copy of the Bible in their hands that they could read. And so each piece of it was intended to teach something. Now you can argue whether it was teaching accurately, you know, um, based on what, what was in there. There's a lot in, in Notre Dame. But but that was the intent of it. And it was built for centuries uh, of witness, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't built for 10 minutes of witness. Mm-hmm. And so when a, when a stonemason was carving a, a shape, he was thinking, what, what can I communicate that will stand the test of time? And we live in a time of disposable thoughts and ideas. Mm. And so I think often when we go to craft a lyric or when we go to write our own poetry about the scriptures or even a blog post, whatever it is, we think, well, if I don't get it exactly right, I can go back and edit it. Right. Uh, or we just won't sing it anymore. Or we just won't, you know, uh, we, we, we just will move on to the next thing. And and I wish that we had a greater sense of, of the permanence of, of the images and the words that we choose so that we were we were creating things that were accurately representing the the report of the scriptures on who God says he is with this, with the same sobriety that those who might have built a cathedral were thinking of. Yeah. Um, I just think it would change the way that we do things. I think we would pay more attention to the words that are, that are timeless here in, in the text. Um, I think one of the examples actually that comes out of Psalm 22 on that is David keeps referencing the ocean. Hmm. And he's doing so in a particular way. I mean, he keeps saying, uh, like, for example, uh, in verse five, he says, for the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, uh, the cords of shale entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I called from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. And then it goes down um, below to verse 17. It says, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. So we keep seeing over and over again this this picture of the ocean as a metaphor for chaos, destruction and death which is a consistent metaphor that we see all the way from Genesis, right? right. Genesis, opening verses of Genesis where yeah. the spirit hovers over the face of the waters yes. and then God brings order out of that chaos. And we see it all the way to the book of Revelation where um, all of our ocean lovers receive the disturbing news <laughs> no that in the new heavens and the new earth, the sea is no more. And, uh, and we're like, what? I love the beach, you know? <laughs> right. uh, but again, what is it saying there? It's, it's using poetic language mm-hmm. to say that that in heaven, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, chaos will finally be gone, that perfect order will be established. And so again, when we're paying attention to the way that language is used in the Bible, it doesn't take something from us, it gives us something. So then when we write a song lyric, if we're gonna use a metaphor of the ocean, let's use it the way that the Bible does. Right. Because people don't know the Bible. And, and the way we write it will, will either illuminate or obscure that which we were trying to teach consistently. It's really good. It's really good. Anything else here? I love that. I, the only other, I mean, this is, it's semi-related to what Jen was just talking about. But again, it's just, this is just more, it's not so much uh, intellectual insight, but more just devotional insight. Um, but I think related to Jen's point here in terms of using the way that, using the Bible the way it's intended to be used is we see that here here in Second Samuel seven, uh, verse thirty one says this, or Second Samuel twenty two, 
verse 31, this God, his way is perfect. Mm -hmm. The word of the Lord proves true. Mm -hmm. And so it's not only appropriate to try to use, we don't want to just restate what the Bible says because we're not trying to be creative. It's because it is, it is the exact revelation that he has given us because he is the true and perfect one. Mm -hmm. So you're making a connection again between God's attributes and his actions in scripture. Mm -hmm. And the reason is we are trying to express our creativity. The reason we're patterning our thoughts, imaginations, and creativity around the Bible is because it is patterned after God's nature himself. Mm -hmm. I love how 2 Samuel 22, like David tells his story in light of God's story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like he he he's learned to only see his life in light of what God is doing, um, and uh, I think about how for us in an individualistic age, in this our kind of contemporary culture, uh, our story and ourself is, th- is thought of as primarily our own. Mm-hmm. Like our story and self belongs to us, mm-hmm. when in reality it it's God's story, mm-hmm. and. And we're gods, mm-hmm. whether we acknowledge it or not. And we then, are not gods. We are gods. We people. are gods. We yeah. belong to <laughs> we are, God. We belong to our God. Our story and ourself. Let's we not are end our, with a little bit of heresy we are sprinkled gods. in. Thank you for the catch. <laughs> well, let me say it a different way. I know what you said. Our story and ourself belongs to God. <laughs> that's, that's better. Um, and it's folded into something that He's doing that is um, cosmic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that Second Samuel twenty-two here towards the back half of so much of David's story. So much has happened. He's looking back and he's able to see, right, his story in light of what God's doing. And we talk about this a lot in the training program. The first exercise that we ask uh, students in the training program to do is to tell their story in light of the story of Scripture, Mm -hmm. in light of God's story. Mm -hmm. Because there's so often a disconnect between we understand how God is at work in our lives and how God has been at work in the world throughout the history of redemption. Mm -hmm. And we also think that our stories are somehow the end of the story. Right. And David knows here at the end that... when his life ends, the story continues. Mm-hmm. He says, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That David knows the story is making its way, th- not to him, but just through him. Through yeah. him. And ultimately the story is coming to a crescendo in David's son, Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the gospel, the story that all the Psalms are pointing to continually have this great crescendo in David's anointed Jesus. I thought you were going to make I, a bun. I, I, I thought I thought he was. I thought you were going to say Christian. Like trying to get Christ <laughs> in Christian. Write that one down for like, a future okay. lecture. Uh, uh, Christendo. I'm, I'm telling you, I was like my 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 trigger figure was ready to just go right Boom. after you. <laughs> for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching knowing faith on our next episode we're going to be answering the question what is jesus doing right now see you next time grace and peace